Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm so thrilled today to be co-hosting with my friend Jeff Larson again and having my dear friend Casey Rogers on the show. This is so exciting. I've wanted to have Casey on for a while since we began the show because she's just a woman that so inspires me and I know she will um, do the same for all our listeners. So Casey and I met actually through a cold call. It was actually... um, I was working in um, Rwanda through um, my mentor, Joe Ritchie, that I often talk about in his foundation, Fox River. And I, I, there was no contact information at the LN5, which, which Casey has spent a uh, significant time building and growing as the executive director. And I'm so excited for her to share her background there and her love of Rwanda and, and everything today. But we sent in a cold call email and she jokes that she's like, I kept the letter there for a minute because I get a lot of inbound requests for my time and attention. I don't know who's to, but she she ended up connecting with me. We've become very dear friends that we've able, been able to do a lot of great things together, whether it is um, a partnership on the Ellen Show with branding partnerships that support the Ellen Fund or work that we're doing in Rwanda to support, um, you know, artists and, and filmmakers or whether it's... Uh, our new initiative, um, with, which is the Uncharitable documentary that we we had Stephen Gyllenhaal, the director, on the show recently. And Casey is just a powerhouse. And the best thing about her, besides her competence, her grit, her hard work, her smart, is her tremendous humility. She's so unassuming and has accomplished so much in her career from working with family offices to philanthropy to running a major global foundation with celebrity optics that was kind of unprecedented. And now, as a consultant of Tele Insights, which I'm so excited for her to share all about today. So, Casey, thanks for coming on the show. This is so exciting. Thank you, Lindsay. What a welcome. My gosh. Awesome. Uh, wel- welcome <laughs> music you offer. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's keep... well, I'm so thrilled to let you share a little bit. Why don't you start with sharing the journey of your career? You you recently came and spoke to a university of students. It was kind of one of your first public speaking engagements, which by the way, she crushed it. She was a little nervous about it and killed it. Um, was one of the favorites from all of the students all semester. Um, but you know, you you did a great job kind of sharing the arc of your story. Do you mind sharing today a little bit how what got you here today? Yes, absolutely. So I'll start at the beginning. Uh I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, even though I'm now based in Santa Barbara, California, I like to say I'm a proud Californian with Midwestern roots. I'm happy to have both of those places as a part of who I am. Uh, I always envisioned that I would be an educator, that I would be a teacher, and sort of pursued that path, but also had a love of arts and was really strong in leadership growing up, and a fondness and affiliation sort of for nature. And I graduated from college, thought I'd be a teacher, had a curiosity about Africa, and said, okay, I'm going to marry these two together. And 
applied to a program that placed teachers in developing countries and was placed in Namibia, in Southwest Africa. And that's really one of the huge inflection points in my life because I continue to have a deep passion for Africa and a commitment. And it really was sparked and, and nurtured over 20 years ago um, when I was a fifth grade teacher in Sumeb, Namibia. But I quickly realized I didn't want to be in the classroom, which is kind of an odd thing to realize, you know, after all this training and certification and all of that. And uh, started a nonprofit uh, called Deep Roots that provided scholarships to secondary school students, high achieving, most of whom were girls. And that's really where I cut my teeth on in the nonprofit sector, startup. And, uh, you know, over the last 20 years have worked both in the, you know, implementation side, right, working for nonprofits, also working for funders like the Conrad Hilton Foundation, which funds at a very global, large level, as well as helping families of wealth identify their legacy and direct their giving. And as you said, um, I really had such a wonderful opportunity to work both with Ellen DeGeneres and Portia de Rossi to launch the Ellen Fund in uh, 2018, focused on conservation for endangered species. And uh, there's a campus in northern Rwanda called the Ellen Campus of the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund, which is focused on mountain gorilla conservation and really training the next generation of African conservationists that uh, was the inaugural uh, initiative of the Ellen Fund and, you know, one of our really proud achievements. And then, like you said, I launched at the beginning of January, Talea Insights. Talea comes from a Greek word meaning ultimate purpose. And I uh, really value my own insightfulness and insights in general, the idea that you can have book knowledge, but you also can have lived experience and they can be equal in, uh, you know, in somebody's assessments. So bringing the idea of ultimate purpose and insights together to help accelerate social impact, specifically in the areas of social justice, women, Africa and nature. And uh, Lindsay, you and I have been able to work together on so many wonderful initiatives and, um, you know, I have to just just end this piece by saying you and I also share a common commitment to family. And I'm mother of two daughters. I have a wonderful husband, Michael. And, you know, being able along this journey that I just quickly took you through to balance uh, my aspirations and ambitions alongside my desire to to nurture a healthy, thriving family. Oh, you and you do it. You make it look easy. I mean, those those girls are everything to you and you you've taken them a lot on your journey. I mean, they've been to Rwanda. I just remember last year you and, right. and Michael taking yes. them. And Michael is Michael is as precious as a husband can ever be, be so talented. And he's the brother of Portia de Rossi, who's the wife of Ellen. And having a family that has such visibility, it's it's just amazing how much of a servant attitude you and Michael have had in in that capacity and how um, willing you are to do whatever it takes to make the good things your family is about at large win. Like you just, you guys do, you really have no ego in it. And it's just so stunning to me. It's so inspirational. And, you well, know, Lindsay, one of the I things really that I really that... admire. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I really believe that there's so much power in the possibility of family. And it's not always easy, but whether it's been through my work in philanthropy, working with 
high net worth families and actually helping them find a very effective, fulfilling place in philanthropy as a family. Uh, I was, you know, an owner with my brother and sister in a family business, or as you say, working with family with the Ellen Fund. Uh, it really is a commitment of mine throughout my life to find ways for family to work, uh, whether it be in business or around the dinner table. Uh, and I think that, gosh, we would all benefit if we could see more families really thriving. Oh, I love that. I love that guiding North Star. And it's interesting because having worked with you as a colleague and a partner and a friend in different capacities, you make everybody around you feel like family. I mean, I think it's just your other centric um, wiring. You're very aware of others. You see them as an extension of you and people feel that intrinsically and you are deeply insightful. So I love Celia Insights as the name. Um, tell us a little bit about the projects you're currently working on. Um, you know, with regards to this this new consulting and how inspiring that now you can kind of branch out this remarkable network you've built over the course of your career and find ways to infuse value in such a creative way. Thank you. It is an exciting time without a doubt. And you were a wonderful uh, mentor, you know, nine, 10 months ago, really, you know, have having a thought partnership with you just around your lessons learned and, you know, sort of trying to refine some of my thinking. So thank you for that. You know, I would I would start by saying, you know, where you and I intersect is around the film Uncharitable, which is so exciting because uh, it is talking about how we need to change the way we think about change. And that film is going to be released in September. And I hope uh, that it will have really significant ripples throughout our country because, um, we have some really big challenges ahead of us, but we also have so much talent and tenacity that we can overcome them. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And I'm a firm believer that we are not resource poor. It's a matter of will and alignment. We actually have the resources we need to see, uh, you know, all of us live in a way that is, that is healthy and giving. Uh, so Uncharitable is an exciting project that I'm working on. Another is um, both a movement and a fund called Daughters for Earth. And this is focused on mobilizing $100 million to support women-led climate solutions. You know, Lindsay, you have been committed to um, really supporting and uplifting women as I have throughout my career. When we look at the environment, it's actually women who are doing the bulk of work, protecting, restoring, nurturing nature, but they don't have access to the money, the decision-making, or the celebration of their efforts. And so Daughters for Earth is really looking to do that, to put money in the hands of women around the world who are you know, promoting regenerative agriculture, protecting land, rewilding, all these solutions that we know are important to keep our planet cool, right? Which is something that would benefit everybody. Uh, and then just driving home the idea that we need some feminine values uh, in our world at a greater rate, right? The idea of nurturing and, and collaborating and gathering, these this is what helps families thrive, back to that same idea, right? So why not infuse that more at you know, our board tables and at the highest level of decision-making? I'll just um, mention one other project uh, that I'm involved in, and that's called 2041 Schools. And 
2041 is the year in which the international treaty that governs Antarctica is up for discussion. We all are the protectors of Antarctica today. No one owns it. And it is so significant to the health of our planet. You could think of it like an anchor, if you will, right? Just holding fast at the southernmost part of our Earth to keep everything in balance. And 2041 Schools is educating young decision makers of the future, school kids, uh, about the importance of Antarctica. And um, the decision makers of the future are important. So I'm proud to be uh, supporting them. You know, Casey, that's uh, fun to see, like, how many different projects you get to be a part of. Um, you know, one thing that it makes me think about is, you know, being able to hang out with Lindsay and see her work with many different high profile people and a good cause and the press and kind of like get them all to work together. It's interesting to see how much more she's got done than if it was just good cause, you know. Um, and so um, I think about how many people would like to work with high profile people or celebrities. Um, and yet in my observation, it seems like very often people approach them like an ATM machine of what they can get out of them. Do you, do you have any tips for folks who would like to work with high profile people or celebrities of uh, how to approach them, how to work with them and, and make them feel like a real life human being, not like someone you're trying to use? So that's a good question. I think it's a smart strategy in life to always look at win-win. So, you know, how can you bring a proposal, an idea, a proposition that is not just taking, but it's also giving? And if framed in that way, anybody would be more enticed to, you know, have that conversation and consider it because you don't feel like you're being taken advantage of or like you say, you know, just being seen as an ATM. And the other thing I would add to that is that every person has different things that they can bring to bear, right? Different gifts, different levers that they can pull on. And so money is just one of those. Uh, you know, it's sometimes said that, you know, money is like energy, right? It, it is enabling things to happen, to flow, to accelerate. But there are so many other things. What, you know, what is the person's network? afford, right? Or what kind of experience does it enable that individual that might have been out of reach, uh, you know, without your partnership? Um, and then there are other things, you know, just in terms of like influencing or, you know, being able to communicate a message in a certain way. You know, these are all examples of ways in which a partnership could be structured and where it's much farther beyond, you know, the almighty dollar. Yeah. And, and I guess maybe just to double down on that, if you had any specifics, like, you know, for my show, it's a lot of like high growth CEOs and investors, right? And you see uh, whether it's Ryan Reynolds in a for-profit business or, you know, like you're working with the Ellen Fund, Lindsay's worked with so many celebrities on the charity side as well. When you think about, you know, a high growth CEO or a high growth investor who's thinking about approaching a celebrity, do you have any tips for them on how that even just initial proposal or that initial reach out can signal the like, hey, we're different. We're not like, we do want this to be a two-way street. We do want to find out more about your priorities and and anything that would help them signal like, we're different. We we actually want to do what Casey is recommending here. Because when, they, when you haven't had the conversation yet, 
you know, how do you, how do you have an approach that right off the bat is signaling um, that you want to be different? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think the more that fun can be centered in any outreach, like keeping that, keeping mindful of that, right? That um, what will differentiate opportunity A from opportunity B, right? If opportunity A is looking pretty familiar, it's looking pretty vanilla, it's, you know, how many slide decks has one person seen in a day, right? And if opportunity B has an element of fun or whimsy or, or even just communicating that like we are looking to make this win-win we think this is what really appeals to you and this is why we're positioning it like this even being forthcoming about why you've taken the approach you've taken um at least allows that person to register like oh you get me you've done your homework you can see how this would really excite uh and differentiate and i i actually think that that in a way was like uh, the example Lindsay shared at the very beginning with her letter, right? Like nobody was sending printed letters to me. So, you know, to go to the mailbox and get this printed letter from Lindsay Hadley from Utah, like, who is this Lindsay? That's, that's why I just kept thinking, who is this Lindsay? <laughs> but it differentiated her. It wasn't an email to info at the right? And it showed a level of sophistication and professionalism that I appreciated, even though I still had a little bit of skepticism, just like to make sure that, you know, there was uh, that win-win possibility, but certainly it differentiated her. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe just one more question before I hand it back to her here. Um, when, when, you think about, when you think about the most common mistakes people make, when approaching celebrities, approaching high-profile people to be a part of a cause, a business like this. What do you think are some of like the most common mistakes you see made over and over? So I can give you an example that's specific to Ellen as just, you know, uh, to, you know, augment that idea, which is that, you know, many people know Ellen for dancing. So anybody leading with the idea of dancing <laughs> is... Uh, yeah, of course, they, they know Ellen in the public sphere, but it doesn't really seem like they've gone deeper to, to know more about her or know more about how she ticks than just what they might have seen, you know, in the afternoon Ellen show. Uh, and so that's just an example of, you know, somebody's leading with just one element of someone's personality or their you know, public persona. It's too thin. You know, you want some depth and complexity. Uh, And so I just use that as a small example to really say, like, go further, you know, try to understand the totality of someone uh, to really help guide how you're positioning something. It's funny when you say that it's all of a sudden becomes so obvious as soon as you say it, you know, like, so I think once my podcast hit number one on all of Apple iTunes for innovation, we just get flooded with Thanks. We just get flooded with PR pitches, right? And it's usually like the intro line, like half of the first sentence is personalized. Oh, Jess, I really enjoyed your, and they just name whatever was the last episode on my show. And then the rest of it is just a form letter, right? Yeah. And you and know like, that. Or you yeah, feel and it. it. And like the ones that get the second look are like the ones that you can tell, like, 
actually looked up something about me, actually like they did like the next level of like, seemed like any kind of investment in me, like to the point of like even having a sense of what my show is about. Like they make some assumption from the title, they pull whatever the last episode was, and then they give me a form letter. And those people are so easy to say no to. Uh, it, I mean, I know I'm like on a, like a minuscule level compared to Ellen, but the no, principle uh, yes. like resonating with me. Exactly. And I think, you know, the other thing I would say is that persistence pays off, right? You know, I am a big believer in timing. And sometimes, as you say, if you're really deluged with requests, um, you, you know, you can't focus on something or you can't get to everything. But if there's someone who comes back to you and back again, um, I mean, either it becomes really annoying and problematic, but if it's a really solid idea that is bringing them back because they have such strong belief that there's a there there, then that's also a piece of it, you know, I would say in terms of, you know, being willing to be patient and appreciate that timing, timing does matter and can matter. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite authors is a marketing author named Seth Godin. And I asked him to be on the show probably at least five times over the last seven years. And then this spring was finally the right timing. And so he was on the show last month and it was like, it's very fun for me, but it was, you know, it took six or seven years to get the yes, you know? So. Yeah. Um, and no, I would say that, as you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, insights and intuition. And if you're someone who's reaching out and just has this very deep seated belief that there is alignment, stay true to that. You know, maybe it will take months or years, but if you're genuine in your uh, outreach and your intent and this aim to find win-win, then stick to it. Maybe it, it morphs or adjusts over time, but, uh, you know, don't lose sight of that very, like, deep-in-the-belly feeling you might have about it being right. That's great. Lindsay, I'm sure this is bringing up questions for you. I'll hand it over. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I mean, I, I think that that is one thing that actually kind of astounds me in my career is when I talk or consult other people to help them think, well, no, just get behind them and then they get behind you. Like, what value are you bringing to them? It's amazing how um, common sense is not common practice. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, I need this celebrity here and it's a good thing. It's like, they don't you realize they all have tons of good things they're getting invited to and they have their own good things they're working on. Get behind what they're doing. Find how what you're doing will value to them. Be a value creator. That also obviously helps enable the things that you're trying to do in your life. Um, because that, those are the truly synergistic, compatible relationships right out there. Um, the, the, the neat part is, you know, um, you've, you've done a great job at that. Yeah. You've done an amazing job at that, uh, Casey. So what have you found like over the years, what you did in Rwanda was, is a prime example to me with, um, the campus. Um, and I'd love for you to share a little bit what you've done there because talk about amazing value that you've created, not just for the gorillas and the actual inherent cause, but for the entire community, the government at large, and broadly just the planet. I mean, maybe you can share a little bit about how all of that ended up, you know, being this incredible value-centric thing. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a proud moment in my career. Um, so, you know, the Ellen campus of the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund in Northern Rwanda, to me, is an example of partnership par excellence, like working at the highest level. And that partnership included the the initial and and really anchored 
uh, leadership of the Diane Fossey Guerrilla Fund, which has been working in Rwanda and Democratic Republic of Congo for over 50 years, protecting guerrillas, supporting communities, advocating for conservation. They were one of the partners. The Ellen Fund was one of the partners as the, um, you know, the earliest and largest uh, contributor to this campus project. And I'll name a few other key partners. Uh, Mass Design Group, the architecture firm that was hired to conceptualize and build the campus, which, which began its work in Rwanda over a decade ago and has since expanded to other places on the continent of Africa, as well as the United States, Haiti, and beyond. The government of Rwanda was another key partner, right? Because in any country you work, you're always needing to be uh, respectful and aware of that government's plan and uh, purview. And the government of Rwanda takes conservation very seriously. And it's actually a part of its, uh, a key strategy of its, you know, development plan uh, overall. So these were some of the key partners involved. And the reason I say that this was such an exemplar uh, in terms of partnership is because no one was doing what the other one was doing, right? We all to our strengths. And so the Diane Fossey Guerrilla Fund, you know, they are the owners and operators of the Ellen Campus, 12 acres, sustainably built, beautiful and expansive. And they are the experts in conservation. The Ellen Fund, we are, you know, experts in terms of influence and funding and, you know, certainly communication as, you know, Ellen, one of the world's best communicators, right? And Mass Design, you know, their slogan uh, motto is that beauty is justice and justice is beauty. The idea that a, a beautiful top class uh, facility in northern Rwanda is exactly what's what's needed and what can be delivered. Uh, and it's the coming together of of all of us that that brought that about. And I'll just flag, you know, a real proud moment about this, which is that the campus was constructed with more than twenty five hundred local workers, almost 25% of whom were women, during COVID when all tourism revenue and jobs had dried up because of lack of travel. So in an area that already has uh, a need for, you know, more work opportunities, employment opportunities, there were 2,500 jobs. And of those employees, over 500 received certifications in new trades that they received while on the job. Uh, so just, you know, allowing that ripple to continue flowing. Oh, so it is truly a stunning, likely, like you said, best in class example of all of the, you playing this sophisticated, which really was largely you, Casey, giving your credit, but where it's due, but playing a sophisticated, you know, choir conductor, if you will, of getting all of these people to come together and sing the same song. I mean, it's pretty, it's a stunning thing. And if anybody has a chance to go there and visit, maybe you can share what, how the public can engage with that project. Oh, absolutely. It is one of the like key destinations for anyone traveling to the continent of Africa, the, the Ellen campus. It's open seven days a week, uh, nine to five. There's a gorgeous public exhibit that takes you through the life of Diane Fossey who really committed her life to guerrilla conservation and then takes you into present day to understand all the science and research and protection that the Fossey Fund uh, supports. There's a 360-degree theater 
uh, on the campus that shows several different films that people can watch. There are walking trails and a fantastic cafe and uh, gift shop with artisan-made items. So it's it's a place that if you're in Rwanda, you absolutely need to go. And I hope that people come to Rwanda to come to the Ellen Fossey campus. Amazing. So Casey, um, as you as you've done this work predominantly over the last, uh, how long were you at the Ellen Fossey? Was it over? It was twelve years. Is that right? Was it a decade? Eight. Okay. Six years. Okay. And um, your work, I mean, your work in Africa kind of and to me like blends because it all so synergistically came together. You leveraged all those relationships. Um, how do you feel like this is maybe more vulnerable of a question. So forgive me for the audacity because I know you and love you. I, I know that you have a great degree to share. But like, how do you feel like, you know, when people in the world, because I mean, I know you were literally like the perfect person to do that job. It just so happens that it was also family that was hiring. But they that added additional trust equity and a protection that I don't think people would normally have. Like you, you really are for Ellen and Portia in a way that someone from that they might have hired could never have accessed that kind of love of concern for their well-being. Um, but I know because of your career, what you've done and seeing you in action, that you were literally the perfect hire. But do you, you ever ran into experiences where people discount you or you feel like you're maybe like a vehicle to get to Ellen and Portia or you ever have experiences and that that have as a woman in leadership, as a as a woman who's often an outsider to the entertainment industry or whatever it may be that you're engaging? Do you ever feel pushed aside or discounted or um, underrated? And what do you do about that? Because I know that's a common experience for a lot of women in leadership. Mm, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'll I'll answer it two ways. One, uh, I don't know, maybe it was 15 years ago. Ellen and Portia and I had a conversation where they said, we really want to do something with you philanthropically, but the time isn't right yet. And at that point, I was a senior program officer at the Hilton Foundation. I had a busy career. I was traveling for the Hilton Foundation. And I said, well, that's fine because I'm actually busy right now. You know, I'm like fully engaged in what I'm doing. So when the time's right, the time will be right. And sure enough, right, it was, you know, late 2017 when that time was indeed right. So, um, you know, that's just to, to share a little bit about sort of how did my role in the Ellen Fund come about, right? The seed was planted many, many years in advance. But I'll say that, you know, impact work, social impact work is often seen as an add-on, as a fringe, as a nice to have versus as the core driver of an effort. Uh, you know, if you're engaged in any sort of business or commercial or commerce venture, the driver is revenue. The driver is profit. And any good you can do is seen as a nice to have. And so, I mean, I feel like that's something that I've sort of been up against my whole career, right? But I have really deep conviction, uh, a very strong compass in terms of what is beneficial to our greater world, right? To to that idea of thriveability that I referenced earlier, to getting to a place where people can thrive and really live to their highest potential and capacity. And I keep that as my North Star so that when I have to kind of fight my way into a meeting or, uh, you know, find space in an agenda to talk, 
and to advocate for what I'm working on, whether it's the Ellen Fund or something else, I do it from that very deep center. And when I'm working from that place, I'm unapologetic because I know it's not about more Casey Rogers in the world. I know it's about protection of a species or support you know, for women to be able to thrive or protecting and restoring our earth, right? Like, come on, who doesn't want to get behind that? <laughs> that is such a stunning approach because then your um, sincerity can, can be felt. People, they can't miss you when, when you're so clear about your why. Um, Jess, what does that bring up for you? Well, um, I think a lot about how many good causes there in the world, you know, like I was lucky enough, Casey, to talk Lindsay into launching our charity Child Rescue over 13 years ago now. And uh, she <laughs> it went so well that we're obviously still around now. And um, but I, I think about over those years since Lindsay launched it for us, like all the people have come to me for nonprofit advice. And, and so much of it is not can I find a good cause to work on? It's funding, 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 funding. You know, most in my experience, most people in the nonprofit space are experts at doing the work, but they maybe don't come from a background of investment banking or sales or marketing or, you know, skills in acquiring funding, right? So thinking about whether it was your time at Hilton, time at Elephant, other people you've worked with, um, a little bit related to my previous question, when you think about requests that come in that stand out, requests that get this, the second look, that that have a higher probability of being considered for funding. What advice do you have for people, whether they're writing grants or proposals or anything like this? What kind of thoughts would you uh, recommend to people? Just fundraising is so hard, <laughs> right? I mean, even if you're extremely talented at it, like our Lindsay Hadley is, it's hard. It's really hard work. And it gets back to that like deep well of conviction, right? That you have a belief in what you're doing and what you're supporting and that you're inviting people. You are giving an opportunity for people to be part of that, to be part of that journey, that ride, that ultimate, you know, uh, achievement, if you will. Um, and, and continuing to come back to that, especially when you stumble or get that no again and again and again. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, an example. I've, yeah, I've been part of a, a board that supports emerging leaders in social justice. And these are folks who probably wouldn't call themselves a leader, right? They're, they're beginning their leadership journey, but they have a deep passion and drive to you know, solve a social problem. And in that case, it's, it's really tapping into this passion. Like, would you be doing this work if you weren't compensated for it, if you weren't uh, you know, receiving recognition. I certainly think people should be fairly compensated and receive recognition. But like, is this something that you will want to move forward regardless of if the funding comes in the right time, things like that? That's the type of person that I want to bet on, you know, and that I would want to invest in. And so whether you're investing in them as an emerging leader, for example, or an organization that they are championing or leading, that's a piece of the quality that I'd want to see. The other thing that I would say is it's very enticing to be able to join an effort that's bigger than yourself. And I think that 
if you are a funder or providing funding, it also can sometimes feel lonely or risky if you're the long funder. So the idea of being able to take an opportunity to somebody that says, look, these folks are already in, will you join us? Or the intent is that you won't be the only one, right? We're building this out so that there will be a dozen or dozens or hundreds or millions or whatever it is of other supporters. That is, is really incentivizing for people. I love that answer, but you're like, you're so good at making things simple that as soon as you talk, I'm like, that's so obvious. Why do I even ask? That's such a good answer. I think about like for-profit fundraising and I hate showing up and begging one person for all the money. And they all of a sudden, like the power dynamic is so skewed. It is not a peer-to-peer conversation, right? But like, I think about like, you know, I haven't raised, you know, I've raised a I raised a bunch of money, but not as much as other people. Okay. And my favorite thing is when you can show up and say like, we're doing this with or without you, we could do it faster with you. If you're excited about this, we would love to have you on the team, but by no means confuse yourself with like granting us our future. We're doing this either way. Just so you know. 100 million percent. Yes. And I think that's where the conviction comes from, right? Like you believe in your own idea so deeply that whether or not that donor supports you or the next one or the next one, you're still going. And there is a lot of power in being able to say no, right? Like, no, our values don't align actually. And so we're moving in a different direction. And the the ability to say, we are moving forward with you or without you, but we'd love it if you could be with us. Yeah. You know, I think about the large project. I think I saw your one one was like, 15 million. Is that right? And you think about projects on that scale. And like, I love where you talked about this idea of being, you know, like you think it's lonely being an entrepreneur. It can be lonely being a funder, right? People already spent a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get this money in the first place. Nobody wants to do that over again. Right. And, and humans, we, we love company. Yeah, I get, I, as soon as you say that, I can see like, yeah, we'd love to hear like, Hey, we're not looking to you to solve all our problems you know, this is, here's the credibility of the other people who think this is a good idea as well. And there, or even if it's like, Hey, would you, I'm going to put words in your mouth. I want you to correct me. But like, is it like, could you go and say like, Hey, we want to get constituency. We want to get a number of the greatest minds who want to partner on this, you know, both the work side and the financial side. Would you consider tentatively being a lead off where as long as I can get other supporters, you'll get involved, but we're not asking for your money if we can't get the other people or, you know, like, what could we all do to reduce the risk of the grantor? So I think that that is a very smart strategy. The other thing that I'll say is listening is exceedingly powerful. So reaching out to a potential funder, right, whether they're funding a, a nonprofit or a for-profit venture and seeking their input, right? They're a leader. They've made things happen. They're successful. What feedback do you have for us? What blind spot do we have? What haven't we anticipated? And as, as a piece of your developing relationship so that you're not first saying, fund us. You're first saying, be a thought partner. I value who you are. I value more than your money. And I really want to hear candid feedback and to improve. You know, Lindsay and I have a friend named Mitch Warner who runs the Arbinger Institute. And you sound just like him. He says, if you want advice, go ask for money. If you want money, go ask for advice. 
And like, I, as you're saying that, like, but think about the, I mean, just as you're saying that, like, I love the answer because talk about signaling, like, I see you as a partner. Hey, it'd be great to get your money at some point, but could I get your advice first? And then if they take the advice and adapt as a result, like you are signaling to people like, no, I mean it. It wasn't just talk. Like I actually want more than just your money. I want your brain. I want your insight. I want your, I want the whole package of partnering with you on this. Totally. And I think that what, what people will say and, you know, Lindsay included and others who've been involved in funding, fundraising, whether again, it's for profit or nonprofit, you might be able to get a commitment or a gift from someone once. But if you don't view it as a relationship and really nurture and respect it, then you're probably not getting a second commitment and you're definitely not getting a third. So if it's only transactional, you might get that first one. But it's not going to lead to bigger and better things because people feel it. They, they realize that all you see me for is the ATM, right? As you said earlier, Jess, versus this genuine relationship and caring of and for one another. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll sneak one more in before I, I hand it off to Lindsay to close this up. Um, there are so many good people in nonprofit. I mean, I get to meet so many of Lindsay's great friends. I mean, there's a lot of great people in nonprofit and very few of them have accomplished what you've accomplished. What do you think is different about you? What have you done different that others haven't, that you've been able to have a larger impact? Well, thank you. I like catching my breath um, from that. I'll tell you that when I was teaching in Namibia, I was earning a few hundred dollars a month and hitchhiked most places, which my parents didn't know at the time. And they were horrified when they did find out. But anyway, it, it all worked out. I actually got a very, the most sizable contribution for the nonprofit I founded was as a result of hitchhiking. Um, so some, a lot of good things happened actually. But one day while I was standing on the side of the road waiting for a lift, I had what I can only say was an epiphany where I just thought I want to be a conduit between needs and resources. And it was like I received a personal mission uh, to to have a, a foot in communities and a foot in boardrooms and to be able to be an in-between and a translator and a conduit for resources flowing. And whether I was at Warner Brothers talking to studio executives about the Ellen Fund or whether I'm advocating for protection of Antarctica or, or whatever it might be, it is that initial intent and desire that I hold fast to. And I I'm driven because I know that so much is possible, um, but it just might not be front of mind for everybody. But I'm not going to stop trying uh, to get it to be front of mind for everybody. Yeah, that's inspirational. I love hearing that. Uh, Lindsay, I'll hand it off to you. Thanks, Jess. And yeah, this will be our last question coming up here on the end of, of the interview. But thank you again, Casey, for being on. Casey, oh, what? Been in... Oh, yeah. Thank you. I was going to say you, you're you such a delight to listen to and so deeply insightful. What would you say is your, um, the thing that you're maybe most excited for going forward? I mean, you've got these great clients um, and, you're, and you're seeing such momentum and you're kind of, you're in an 
an entirely new moment of, of progression in your career. But what is it that's exciting you most? And is there anything you want to share with our audience before you leave? Sure. Well, I have started hosting uh, intimate events called Talea Talks in Santa Barbara, which are really focused on inspiration and connection. And I am a believer that there that people are are having difficulty accessing inspiration today. It's not to say there is a lack of inspiration in the world. And so one of my roles is to really offer that up, to show people possibilities and to warm their hearts so that hopefully they can carry these stories forward out into the world or better connect to their own sort of humanity um, mission. And I thank you, Jess, for saying earlier, you know, the, the, the story was inspiring. I, I get that feedback and I sort of am surprised by it, right? It's just my life. It's just what I've done. I'm not aiming to inspire, but I am eager in this new chapter, Lindsay, to be able to tell more stories, to be able to share more broadly what is possible as a way to accelerate possibilities, catalyze them, and ultimately really light people's hearts on fire for what uh, a world where we're all thriving could look like. I'll just say thank you, Casey, again, for coming on, for the way you live your life, your way of being. And I hope you keep listening to those insights because they've been such a gift to me and anyone who encounters you. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks, Jess, for co-hosting. Do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, estate attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.